Here we go. You're listening to Friday's Law and Gospel on this October the 6th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at an email entitled, Bad News for God. Bad News for God? Well, if I say something that you have a question about, don't hesitate to email me at tombaker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. Bad news for God. Over the summer, we've had new polls come out on the existence of God and other spiritual matters. And can you say that when a poll says something, you can take it to the bank? Well, if you miss the surveys, well, we hate to be the bearer of bad news, but things aren't looking good for the Creator. Bad news for God? The first poll was done by Gallup and found that belief in God has hit a new low. In the United States, 74% of the people now accept his existence, which is 16% less than what was recorded in 2001. So in 2001, it was 90%, well, 74 and 16, 84, yeah, 90% believed in God. But wait, it goes downhill from there. The second poll from the University of Chicago that says half of Americans, 49.6%, believe in God with no doubts. But the rest of the responses, that is the other part leading up to 74%, were spread among those who were agnostic, atheistic, believed in a higher power of some kind, or believed with doubts. A favorite group was those who believe sometimes, 5.4%. Believe sometimes? If you want to know what flips their switch on and off like I do, alas, the survey didn't say. Now, the Prince of Darkness posted even worse numbers than God in the Gallup poll, only 58% saying they believed in an actual devil. Now remember, we've got 74% who believe in the existence of God, but only a fewer 58% believe in the actual devil. 
we don't have to spell things out for you with respect to where things are headed, or do we? Once a full majority rejects the idea of God's existence, then will that mean that God simply no longer exists? And with God out of the picture, people will do only one other thing. They will worship something else. Now, we know that poles are notoriously bad at representing actual truth. Take a look at political polls and how often they are wrong as to who gets elected. What the majority of people think oftentimes conflicts with true reality. But isn't that how truth works? We get things wrong all the time. And our errors don't swap out the really real, as Francis Shaver called it. What does he mean by that? Well, let's say you're a mathematics teacher in a university. And you have 100 students in your math class. And you give them a problem to solve. 99 of them come to the wrong answer. And only one gets it right. Does that mean that the laws of mathematics change to favor the majority who got it wrong? Of course not. It doesn't matter how many get the wrong answer. It's still a wrong answer. Getting an incorrect result in math, well, that's one thing. But getting it wrong where God is concerned is a different matter entirely. Because whether you believe it or not, Everyone will worship something. History has shown time and time again, we excel at loving the wrong things. Now, Martin Luther's small catechism is just excellent. First commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What does that mean? We should fear, love, and trust in the true God above all things. But if people don't fear, love, and trust in the true God, they truly fear, love, and trust in something. Whatever they love, it can be their looks, it can be a statue that they made out of metal, or out of wood, or it could be their reputation, it could be their job, it could be their family. French theologian, Louis Augusta Sabatier was spot on 
in declaring that humans are incurably religious. Something called out in a different way by John Calvin. He described our desire to worship as being brought on by the sense of the divine that's imparted to us through being made in the image of God. So whatever you love is your God. Now, how do you know what a person loves? Examine their life and see when they become despondent, when they become angry, when, boy, they, they feel that, man, life isn't worth it. Whatever is making that feeling has become their God. That's why when we as pastors go to a hospital, you're going to meet people who may be members of your congregation, but they're deathly afraid of the surgery that they're going to have. Perhaps they could die from it. Well, what does the pastor do? Does he explain to them? Well, here's how the surgery works and then goes through the method of the surgery? No. Instead, these people are comforted with the pastor going to the Bible and reading passages that can comfort us in the midst of our cruelty, our injury, our health concerns. Now, this bent to worship something is in all of us, but its aim is often askew. The most common swing and amiss is when we worship ourselves. Voltaire wrote, if God has made us in his image, many of us have returned to him the favor. Boy, that is such a good understanding of every religion in the world. Take a look at any other religion in the world except Christianity, and you will see that the gods that people worship are images of themselves. Their gods their hopes, their aspirations fit a human understanding of reality rather than a believer's understanding of reality. We do this even when acknowledged by the IRS years ago. It declared secular humanism a religion. Now, secular humanism bypasses the Bible to use man's reason. And in fact, unfortunately, there are Christian pastors who think that using human reason can help someone 
come to faith in Jesus Christ. No, it cannot. They give the song and dance that there are certain things that keep us from believing in Jesus Christ. Well, what you do is you explain to a person the reasons for why they are believing what they're believing and why it is wrong. And that moves them closer to faith in Jesus Christ. No, there's only one thing that really moves them to faith in Jesus Christ, and that is the means of grace. We've talked about the means of grace a lot on Law and Gospel, and you hear it almost on every program on KFUO. The means of grace refer to God's word and his sacraments to create faith in a person. Now, those disavowing the idea of supernatural things bulk at being thought of as religious or worshiping something. Yet, whether they realize it or not, they are worshiping it. C.S. Lewis reminds us that praise and worship flow from us in many directions. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, in fact, many notice that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, they then spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. I mean, I have some friends who have certain college football teams they just love. And... In fact, I was going to have a phone call yesterday with two pastors, but I was told, forget it, because last night there was an important football game beginning at 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock, and therefore they would not be able to be available to be on the phone. Now, of course... The one pastor said, well, if it's really serious, I'm only kidding. But you can feel that they did not want to miss the game. Is that something that they are ringing with praise? Because they will tell you to praise their team. The psalmist tells us something very important. The psalmist tells us to praise the true God. But many men and women praise something else, which means they're also worshiping it. It is impossible not to have a God. 
because that's what you care about most. Now, a lot of these actions, like praising the football team, seem tame enough. But scripture is clear. Then when the elevator is taken down to the ground floor of an unbelieving heart, the lights go completely out where true worship is concerned. And you really have no excuse for it. Paul says, we know God exists on floor number one because that which is known about God is evident within us. For God makes it evident to us Listen to Romans 1, 19 and 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that we are without excuse. I've been interested in watching television programs that talk about the catastrophe of the Twin Towers falling to the ground. There was one very interesting one entitled The Heroes on Floor 84. The plane that crashed into Tower 1 was floor 90 and above. And that included a number of floors, no person was able to escape if they were above floor 90 because the stairways were blocked with fire and debris, the elevators were not working, and all these people died. But on the 84th floor, it talked about two men who climbed all the way up to almost the 90th floor to rescue people. You see, in the Twin Towers, the stairs were not such that once you started going down, they went down all the way. The floors were so huge that the staircases changed from place to place. Well, these two men, they got everyone on the 84th floor finding stairs that were open. There were three sets of stairs. Two of them were blocked by fire and debris. And the one man who was kind of knowledgeable about the Twin Towers was able to find the other stairs. And he led the group of people in his office, including his wife, to the stairs. Those people climbed down the stairs, except for he and another man who went up. They rescued 77 people from above floor 84 who were trapped they banged open doors, got people out of elevators, and got them to the stairs. 
Unfortunately, both men died because the building came crashing down. And it, of course, engulfed them. But what I found interesting is that as people were going down the stairs, they were going slowly because 6,000 people left the Twin Towers through the stairways and saved themselves. And while they were going down the stairs, guess what they were doing? They were all praying. They recognized that they could lose their life. And in fact, near the end when the towers were about to fall, words went to the firefighters that were still in the building to evacuate, evacuate and they helped people down the stairs, and many of them were saved also, even though hundreds of people died when both towers fell to the ground. But it was very interesting that as far as I could see, there was no one who wasn't acknowledging God's existence. Wherever our condition is one, where we know God. In other words, we should worship God. But if we don't, you will end up worshiping something else, whether you realize it or not. French philosopher Simon Vey, V-E-Y, realized this and wrote, one has only the idea of knowing either God or idolatry. There is no other possibility for the faculty of worship is in us and it is either directed somewhere into this world or into another world, which of course, from a biblical point of view, is the kingdom of God. Here on earth is the Holy Christian Church. And then when we die is the interim we spend in heaven in the spirit until our bodies are rejoined with us on the day of judgment where we live in heaven eternally, worshiping God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So while the polls say that it appears that the worship of God is on the decline, they are oblivious to the fact that the worship of other things is rising with the rate of people worshiping always remaining at 100%. And what's God's reaction to such polls and false worship? Is that bad news for God? Does he see it as bad news? 
or what he expected. Listen to Psalm 2, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And that, of course, is found in both the Old and the New Testament. Remember, some of the Pharisees asked Jesus, by whose authority are you doing what you are doing? And Jesus says, well, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. John the baptizer, did he do the work of God or did he work what man thinks? And the Pharisees were unable to answer the question because if they said he was from God, Jesus would have said, then why did you not believe him? And if they say he was just from man, then the people would be really angry at the Pharisees because they believe John to be a prophet. It is in this way that God laughs at the world and scoffs at them. But he also has prepared a way for the wicked and the unrepentant to turn from believing in something that is idolatry to believe in the holy triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he does that not by our using reason or man's thinking, but by using Holy Scripture, as Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, explaining to two disciples the necessity of his crucifixion and the purpose of his resurrection. And that is so that we can laugh with God and be saved, having been justified by his grace and saved through the faith that he has given us to believe the scriptures. Join with me on Monday's Law and Gospel to hear an analysis of Bible verses from a law and gospel point of view. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.